Welcome back to Hang 'em Up. We're on episode three. That's numero trace for all you Spanish-speaking listeners out there. Very exciting episode coming up. But without further ado, I do need to kind of do a shameless plug. Um, I know we're trying to get a little bit more interaction from our listeners. So if you haven't already, please find us on Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are Hang 'em Up Pod. So that's H A N G E M. U-P-P-O-D. Like I said, it got an exciting episode. We're going to talk about multi-sport versus single sport, uh, as well as in-season versus out-of-season practices and the differences and debates that uh, that we're going to have. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to Tyler. Absolutely. Nick, thank you for the enthusiastic. It's been way too long and we do apologize that I feel like we may have tried to promise to our viewers that we'd come out once a week and we got a little delayed because as y'all know, life happens. But yeah, so multi-sport versus solo sport. One of the things that we as a group we talked about is and maybe not as a prevalent uh, as the younger age right now, but as you know, as they're going to progress in their careers, what is the importance between focusing on one sport and our vehicle here is obviously baseball, if y'all haven't figured that out, versus being able to let them dip their toes into, you know, sports like hockey or football or basketball and the importance of what they might uh, bring to the table. I will say this uh, from a college perspective, I actually have always promoted um, or recruited kids that were multi-sport athletes. I think that inherently, I think Parents may or may not ever want to admit it. We as coaches certainly look at it when we go through the vetting process of recruiting of the burnout factor, right? And I think if anything, the biggest, for me, the pro on this side of the debate for multi-sport is to give the athlete an opportunity to pause, to have a break from said sport and not to feel as though it is a job. You know, if they are, if they are fortunate enough to become the one percenters of the world where they actually get to create it as a job, then okay. At that point, invest 365 or whatever analogy that we want to use to that said sport. But I think especially at the younger ages, and it's something that we probably have seen most common uh, during our playing careers is spring was for baseball and summer was a workout transitional period, maybe for some travel baseball, some it was getting ready for football, but fall was going to be, you know, at least in our household, it was going to be football season in the fall and winter for us. Uh, hate to tell this for my wife, we didn't care about basketball. So it was just the season to do something else. Uh, but for some <laughs> winter season was was basketball season. I'm sure, Nick, you know, for you being up in basically Canada, you know, hockey had a presence uh, at somewhere in that process. But I don't really know traditionally when the seasonal, you know, rotation for hockey is. But um, to me, that's my biggest uh, pro for having multi-sport. I think also multi-sport from a pro, you know, being multi-sport perspective is that gives the kids the ability to work on other hand-eye coordination based activities that could improve whatever their primary sport is. And I can think of so many applications for where I'm very pro, you know, football for a football, baseball type of player. I could see the credence actually with Basketball as well, you know, pretty much any sport that's going to be aerobic, that's going to really tie into the hand-eye coordination base of things. But then thirdly, I think, too, it it allows a wiring of, of different type of competitiveness, because I think naturally 
we we'll look at our own kids and be like, that's going to be their sport. Right. But those other sports where maybe it's not their sport, it gives them an opportunity to grow in their athleticism. It gives them something to become more goal oriented, understanding that that isn't their best sport. So it might not be like, say for baseball, for example, if one of our sons ends up being the best player on a team, they might be looked at as like the guy. But in the other sport, they're a complementary role to work on, you know, being a good teammate and finding a role that is going to be complementary as opposed to just being the dominant force out on the field. I think those are kind of like the three target spots that I kind of wanted to touch on. I'm going to kind of maybe leave solo sport, Jordan, if you maybe want to touch on that where you could see importance or just kind of add on to the multi-sport. But if y'all haven't figured out, I'm very pro multi-sport when it comes to this topic. No, Tyler, I think that's a um, great stance. And I'll um, touch on something you said and kind of walk backwards about a kid being the best in a sport and then playing another sport and maybe being more of a role player and having to be a teammate, um, especially growing up. I think that helps build character rather than being the guy on the football field, being the guy on the basketball court too. There's power in that, but there's also ego in that, I think, as you're growing up. And I mm-hmm. think there's some benefit in having some clout and being the best player, but I think there's also some good opportunity and being a role player and being quote unquote, one of the boys, one of the guys um, and just knowing how to relate. Cause although that's a sports thing, that's also a life thing. I think everybody can see athletes in real life that have always been the guy and they'll live a lavish lifestyle, but they also don't know how to relate to people on a normal level. And once they get outside of sports and their entire life isn't sports anymore, you're probably going to struggle to have normal relationships with people. So I think that kind of goes outside of sports into more of a life lesson, especially for um, kids developing their interpersonal skills as they go. As far as one sport versus two, I think there's time for one. Once you get into your teens, if not a little bit older. And once you figured out really what your niche is and where you're going to excel and what may be a path that you have to college, what may be your path out of a situation that you're in. I think everybody sees athletes that tell stories that they are, Hey, like I, I I wanted to play basketball because it was my way out of the city that I was in or the situation that I was in, or I wanted to play a certain sport because it'd make me rich and famous and I could provide for my family. I think everybody could probably name an athlete or two that are really good athletes that don't love what they do. They're just good at it. And that, that goes into life. There's not, there's a lot of people that don't love their jobs, but they're good at it and it pays well. And Mm -hmm. sports works the same way. You don't have to be, a sports fan or love the game that you're doing to be good at it and to be successful as children. So I will use kind of my kids as an example. My oldest was never a baseball fan, like going to games, peanuts, cracker jacks, the whole thing. Enjoyed that. Never wanted to play baseball. My youngest, when we got to that three, four year old level. Yeah. I kind of pushed him and introduced him to baseball and was like, Hey, let's try this. I want him to try something else. I want him to try something else from several different standpoints. The standpoint of a selfish one where honestly, as a father, I would like to 
watch him be instructed by somebody else. Make him listen to other coaches. Because I think we've all had those days with our sons where you have to draw the line line with them, as in you're trying to coach them and you're trying to discipline them as the coach, and they're not taking it as seriously as all the other kids, and you have to be like, I'm not your dad right now. I'm your coach. And at five Mm -hmm. and six, that's a hard line for them to understand sometimes. But I want my youngest to have to listen to another coach and understand what coaching from other people is. Assistants on our teams, they do that. But I'm talking about more from like a higher level, like authoritative stance. Like this is the one person that is in charge of your team. You have to listen to them. Mm -hmm. So I think from that standpoint, I would like my child to play more sports be involved in other things where he gets exposure to things and gets exposure to other styles of coaching. I know what mine is. That doesn't make it right, wrong, or indifferent. I may not like somebody else's and he might not like it, but he also may love it and he may get something out of it more than what I'm giving him. So I think there's importance there. I think there's possible importance is, as you touched on, we're baseball coaches. There's other skills and other athletic movements and abilities that you get from playing football or soccer, hand-eye coordination, agility, things that baseball is running and stopping for the most part. Um, basketball is constant running. Soccer, it's constant running. You're moving or you're using um, different muscles, different skills, different thought processes, stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of benefit in that but when you get to the age of 15 16 17 i think that's when you can probably hone in on one thing or the other but i hope to think that through the first couple of episodes and as we move on my stance is going to be pretty clear on how i feel about things for children there's a time to let them be little you don't have to push your child to be the baseball player you want them to be at six years old you do not have to push them to like, I want Johnny to be the shortstop growing up. He's going to be a shortstop. He's going to be the shortstop, never letting him do anything else or have a say in it. That's that's an issue, and that's something I never want to see or I never want to be a part of. Let kids be little. Let kids experience other things. Your kid may be great at baseball. He may be great at soccer, and you never gave him the opportunity to do it. He may be great at ba- baseball. He may play football, realize getting hits not for me. I'd like to hit the ball and run. So there's pros and cons. There's a time to focus in on one. But at this level and this age group, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting as much experience as you can and trying as many things as you can. Nick, I mean, uh, I've rambled here for a little while. I know we talked off air about you didn't have a, a huge stance on this, but um, love to hear your thoughts kind of based on what Tyler and I have touched on so far. In high school, I had a teammate that played football, he wrestled, and he played baseball, all at a very, very high level. He was I'm pretty sure he was the captain of all three teams. Stud of an athlete. I think he even went on to go, go play somewhere in college, uh, maybe D1, AA, something like that. Um, but nevertheless, as everybody knows in wrestling, you've got to drop weight, or you're, you're supposed to drop weight so you can wrestle in a class slightly below of what your normal normally capable of doing um just so it's a little bit easier i'm not you know wrestling expert but uh, i know that he did this over seven seasons or so and he was on the varsity team as a seventh grader so like he was very competitive again this this we're talking about a freak of an athlete by the time we were seniors 
in our scrimmage, he was making a routine tackle as a middle linebacker, blew his knee out. He played baseball, and as I, as I mentioned previously, he was a catcher. So that, I mean, I think both of those sports, and according to, I actually blew my shoulder out, dislocated my shoulder at the same exact scrimmage like two or three plays later, uh, playing defensive end. And one of the sports physical therapists that we went to, both of us went to the same same one, uh, he had mentioned because of the weight loss, it was actually bad for like his ligaments. So I think that's that's maybe one case where multi-sports could potentially start to work against you. The overall literature out there, though, states playing multiple sports, especially ones that use different muscle groups, could actually make you better. And I think, like, Jordan, you've talked about that. Uh, Tyler, you're, you're basically talking about the same thing um, in a sense of, like, uh, I'll use golf as an example. I know there's a lot of good athletes. I'm not going to use professional but good athletes that play golf and struggle with golf, but love the the competitiveness of it and love the fact that it's it's just not all power all the time. There's you have to use different muscle groups to finesse the ball where you want it to go on top of control, which is a whole separate you know aspect. But um, and something else, uh, Jordan, that you had mentioned about letting the kid be a kid. There was an, actually an article that came out back in like April of, of this year uh, from the uh, Mississippi state uh, baseball player, Tanner Allen. Um, and I'm going to read a quote directly from this parents, let your 10 year old kid be a kid. You're not going to spend all your money on travel ball just so Johnny can be burned out before playing high school ball. And his whole point was like, he almost quit baseball to go on to play football in high school because he was just burned out his dad actually gave him the advice of like, I want you to go play football, but don't, don't just shelf baseball so quickly, right? Like just don't, don't just write it off just because you're burned out. Let's have you spend some time away from that sport. Maybe not like do practices or, or, you know, pitching clinics or whatever. I I don't remember exactly uh, what position he played. His whole point was, it's like, let's, let's go away from it and enjoy just being around your friends and competing in a different uh, sport. And ultimately that's his time away from baseball made him want to play it more, just re-engage that love for it. The whole distance makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. I was trying to think of that quote. I clearly I'm not great at memory. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's something to be said about it. But I'm going to hold you guys kind of back to this topic because I think there's a little bit more to explore with it. Uh, what about recruiters or or coaches of travel teams or clubs? Again, whether it's soccer, whether it's baseball, that have like alternative motives that tell the parents, "Hey, I really think Timmy's got it, but he's got to cut out, you know, doing pole vaulting in the spring so he could really focus." on lifting in the off season so he could play football uh tyler again i i think everybody's kind of interested in your aspect of this just mainly because you're on the other side of it or or talking to some of these coaches again we we all kind of know some travel coaches may or may not have actually coached in the college level so i think that's an interesting topic for parents just potentially going to see that predicament yeah. So, uh, and one thing that, you know, we've talked about off script as we've been planning, you know, our storyboards and, uh, I could, I could talk hours ad nauseum on 
recruiting and the importance of what that looks like in today's age, right? Um, I think that there is probably more from the parent side, but I think as these kids start formulating their own opinion about their journey, this level of fear of keeping up with the Joneses, right? And this age, that that target age that you're, that, you know, you kind of, I know, Jordan, you were just kind of throwing out an arbitrary number. That number is becoming closer to 10 years old than it is 14, 15 years old in that. Um, and, I, and I'll challenge this to any of our listeners. If go 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 through your direct TV or Comcast or, um, you know, Fubo, if you are into streaming services, this is not a plug for Fubo, but perfect game specifically for baseball has their own streaming channel. And it starts from 12U up to 18U. And these are kids running a national circuit being, you know, watched on TV. I'd be remiss. 100%, you know, right? And I'd be remiss if when you start thinking about a level of publicity, sometimes it is about what you do for yourself and getting your name out there. You know, when I think about college football, for example, this is a whole different animal to talk about for a different day. but you for for like for example for a rivals ranking or a 24 7 ranking it's you can be great and they'll find you but it's a scratch back you know back and forth you know relationship if you want a quality ranking you will need to go to x amount of these showcases that's about in my opinion at that point talking about being a solo sport athlete what i hate is that i think that we're all on the same board that advocating for multi-sport is our perspective but I have to sit there and turn it and say, OK, based off of what your vision for your journey is, it could just be that you want to play high school and then hang them up and, and, you know, go off to college and explore something else. I think that a lot of us, you know, we reach this certain fork in the road where it's like, OK, now it's time to take it serious. Like, I want to see if, where I can go. How good can I be? Right. And Nick, you touched on this. This Middle Tennessee area is a hotbed for not just a lofty dream, but for a realistic, you know, end goal. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that there is a credence that, you know, I was watching a TikTok video the other day and they said that, you know, if a, if a kid worked singularly on one sport or one activity for, I think it was like 13 to 17 minute range, that if you multiply that out over a year, that they'll be 90% better than just the average person that picks up the sport. Uh, I mean, I have to believe that, right? When I just think about like how intentional I am about something, right? So like, I think from a solo sports perspective, and you think about baseball being such a skills oriented hand, eye hit the ball to me as a hitting coach at the college level, that's a defining moment. I'm recruiting you if you can get on base. If you can't, I'll go find somebody to play defense, but you have to be intentional. And at some point I do think there is a navigation that leads to a solo sport and I think really maybe what the debate really starts coming to is what age is it appropriate for that to be a real conversation? Because, you know, I started I started this debate with advocating 100 percent like I want to recruit kids that are multi-sport. But then I start thinking about what it takes to be the kid that I am in a conversation about recruiting you. And you've probably only been doing baseball or softball for the last three or four years. I don't know. Right. Like I could be wrong, but. I do think that there is something to be said when you're dedicated to that one craft. I do think that it does showcase itself typically in a positive manner, but it has to be under, I think, taking care of with kid gloves that you don't burn it out. Back to you, Nick. Yeah, I've got a, a one example that comes to mind of a multi-sport athlete. I'm going to butcher his last name. Gusecki? 
He's a, uh, I think that he's listed as a tight end for the Miami Dolphins. At least he was a tight end at Penn State. He didn't start playing football until he was at Penn State. He was actually a volleyball player, which explains why he's like 6'7", but also could jump over DBs and safeties. Mark Rubin was another example. Mark Rubin was a heck of a swimmer uh, in high school, out of, again, out of Buffalo. In fact, there's some folklore tales that I, I don't even know if I can confirm those, but that he actually beat Michael Phelps several times in their club sports. He decided to, he was a great above me, but he was a football player, right? And then mm-hmm. swam. That was kind of the, the seasonal thing. He was a much better swimmer than he was a football player. And he walked on at Penn State and started like two seasons for him. Right. Ultimately graduate with honors, went on to go make several millions of dollars on Wall Street. But like, I, clearly I know Penn State because my, my brother's connection to it. And obviously some of our, our local heroes, for lack of a better term. Uh, that have gone on to play there. But going back to like Mike Kosecki's like situation, that guy learned to jump from playing volleyball for so long. And there's something to be said about a six foot, like what is he, seven frame that can go up and just snag a ball over a six foot two DB that can run a four, three, 40. Great. Okay. But you, a six foot two is never going to be able to compete with a six foot seven that has like a what, 48 inch vertical jump. Mm-hmm. It's exaggerated, but you, you kind of get my point of like, this guy had still does has hops ridiculously all to volleyball. Well, and I think that these are they're applicable examples, but I think it has to be with an asterisk that these are one percent athletes, right? Agreed, agreed. And so, you know, I think as we transition to the next topic, uh, at least from my perspective, kind of bring home the the most applicable takeaways are. I think that it's very important to encourage multi sport for being able to find your said sport to understanding the roles of within a teammate structure, right? If you're the dog, if you're the the dude, if you're a complimentary piece, you know, the, the old Robin to Batman, you know, analogy. But also I just think like if everything in life was just a cupcake walk for you, then what are you really learning? You know, I think that's the biggest thing for why I push the multi-sport is that you're going to come across a sport, right? Like I joke around with my friends. I will not touch a golf club. Can't stand golf. Why? I, I'm so bad at it. Like it's not fun because I'm so bad and it's a chicken shit way of like getting out of it. Right. But like the reality is, is that I want to believe that when I do something that I can be good at it. But I think it, you know, as the parent role of all this, you know, as we wear multiple hats that if we can just encourage our kids to fight through adversity, it's not saying that we press a sport on them. Right. But like the old adage, you, we signed up, you're going to finish it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can kind of start finding a way to help navigate our kids and these athletes to the sport that's going to most be indicative to their success, not just because of how successful they are with the accolades from the said sport. I'll segue this next topic and we'll lead into Jordan on this. But this is actually one where I think that we will be having differences of opinions. The importance of in-season practice versus off-season preparation and its end result for level of success. And Jordan, I'll let you uh, take the first hot take on this. Practice. We're talking about practice. (laughs) Not a game. game. Not a game. We're talking about practice. I thought Allen Iverson was an idiot at the time. Now I think he was a genius. 
Um, so the three of us have had a conversation in our ever exciting group chat over the past couple of weeks about what is acceptable in season practice. I know that U sports is going to be our conversation topic as we move forward and we want to try to keep it generalized. So people who have kids that play basketball or football or soccer, whomever can relate. Um, baseball just happens to be our prime example. Um, the majority of the time, and especially right now, since the season's still going on. In our local league, the fall, there is not an end season or an end of season tournament. The fall is just the fall. You play, you play a certain number of games. The last game is right before Halloween. You dress up, you don't dress up, you play the final game, you shake hands and you go home. You play a couple of games. You, most of the time you play two games a week maybe sometimes three, 14 games are fit into two months. So 14 games in eight weeks. And we had in the fall for the first time, a large amount of allotted practices given to us by the league on the actual fields where we play. Personally, I think if you take those seven, eight practices that they give you before the season, to hone in on what you want to get accomplished going into the season, and then you're playing multiple games a week, de facto standard, those games are your live practices. You're never going to get better reps than in-game situation. From a five- and six-year-old perspective, there's a burnout level. I know for our team, we're about to play our fourth game in eight days. I'm a little worried about how that fourth game is going to go just from a, not a talent level, not a paying attention level, but just these are five and six year old kids. Are they going to be kind of tired of this? Is it going to be, we've reached our point and need a break to recuperate. So that's always my thing. Like, Hey, we're playing a couple of games. We play Monday and Saturday. Could I work one in on Wednesday or Thursday? Probably. My logic goes back to, unlike the spring, where you play 14 games and then there's a big end-of-year tournament where there's a winner, there's awards, there's all that kind of stuff. I think that changes your outlook because you're playing for something particular. Your team has a goal. In the fall, I don't want to say you can let up. That sounds derogatory and like you're not as committed. There's more of there's a little bit more wiggle room and more of an opportunity to not take it as seriously as the more competitive spring season. So could we could I practice a little bit more? I haven't had a single in season practice this fall other than during like fall break. We had two and not everybody came to it and they were optional. And we did some stuff, and that was it. It wasn't mandatory. It, nothing was held against kids that didn't show up. I personally just think it's there's an overkill line. I don't know what it is, but I tend to stay on the let's not get to that line rather than let's go over the line. I think of the other two co-hosts, I think Nick disagrees with me more than anybody, so we will let Nick throw his opinion out there. Well. Yes. Tyler, you looked like you, you wanted to really jump in there and say something. So- I'll segue it back and forth because Jordan and I are going to be on the uh, on the same token on this. So we'll create like an Oreo sandwich here. We'll let him say his. You be different, and then I'll come back to it. That's that fair. means Nick's in the middle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking from experience, 
we've already played 11 games while everybody else has played nine somehow. I don't know how that happened, but I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure we played four games in one one week, a seven-day span. Don't recall any kids asking, is this over yet? I don't recall any kids saying, can I go home yet? I don't recall any parent telling me this is too much, mainly because it was games. Uh, I do remember they'll know that I had a handful of parents ask, why do they schedule it this way? We can't even have practices in between them. I'm concerned about like the kids' development. So, and this has been a philosophy of mine ever since I've been in youth sports of you have a game and Jordan, to your point, yes, you're correct. Like those live reps are invaluable. The experience, so to speak, that everybody talks about the developed depth. However, there's also something to be said about practicing in a simulated environment. So you can pause what's going on and talk about, okay, you got a runner on second. Nobody is on first. Shortstop. If the ball's hit to you, what are you going to do? More often than not, you get the answer of tag the base. Well, okay, good. Point to the run. You're going to get it out. And they start looking around, right? Do I want that to happen during a game? No. I want to educate them in a simulated environment. And you can't do that during a game and not allow the game to get out of hand. And then everybody's frustrated. And then you get a situation where kids are checked out. They're eating rubber pellets, chasing butterflies. That's been my philosophy of, and make it fun, right? Uh, Like one example, uh, we had kids overrunning second base, second and third base. We had kids, my own, watching the ball after they hit it and trotting down first base as opposed to running. So what did we do here? We're going to bring dodgeballs. All the assistant coaches, my, like myself, I would pitch in the dodgeball. If they watched their, the ball go out in the outfield or whatever, I would throw another dodgeball at them. If they overran second base, one of my assistant coaches would hit them with it. And I'm not saying like the, I mean, these are soft <laughs> dodgeballs, but at the, it's like it became fun because the kids quickly learned if I overrun second or third base, I'm going to get pelted with a dodgeball in the legs or the hip or the butt. Like, you know, like it, we weren't, nobody was hitting them in the face, but we made it fun to where they understood there's consequences to these actions, right? We, we all the way up to this point, we talked about, Hey, you've got to run through first base. And we got it through these kids. We made a competition of like, Hey, this is how you beat out some throws this is how you not get out sometimes. So then I think some of them took it as, oh, I just I have to run through every single base, second base, third base. And you have this situation during games where they're running through second base and rounding the third, basically out in like left center. And you're like, get over here quickly before somebody realizes you're off this base. Can you do it during, during the season? Yes. But I don't, A, want to set my team up for failure. B, I don't want to set that kid up for embarrassment either because they're, they're doing what they thought was coached to them. I did find myself in a situation that the seven or eight practices we had before the start of the season wasn't enough because there was a large handful of kids that has not played before. I had two kids move up from T-ball, so they didn't understand the rules. They didn't understand that you can play any position and just run and grab the ball and tackle each other. No, but like, there's some order to that. And let's be honest. My practices typically aren't for my reserves. It's for the other kids, the kids that signed up to play baseball, to learn baseball. And I look at it from a consumer standpoint. Parents are paying X amount of dollars for registration. Sure, everybody's 
<laughs> parents hold their kids out for practices so they can play in the games. I also want the parent to feel like they're getting the most amount of act, like maximum value out of this. Like, oh, we've got, let's just make up numbers, like 20 practices in 14 games. I got a great deal of value out of, and I get them thrown out random numbers, $200 for registration as opposed to I tend up for Bobby's team. He barely had three practices for the, we got to start of the season. We played the 14 games. They learned, but nobody was really thrilled about it. And Bobby's kind of on the fence of whether that was fun or not. Pro athletes, which we're not, we're nowhere near that, but like they still practice. They're at the prime. Now, grant you, they're practicing the strategy, right? They're practicing, hey, we're going to introduce this new play. I, yeah. I think, Nick, you bring up some things that I'm, I'm always still going to lean to Jordan's perspective, given the context of the youth sport element. But to kind of talk about this just in the generalization of sport with college, for example, I'll just talk about my own personal experience that you get 21 days of practice for 45 actual calendar days for an off season. And it's a lot more intricate rules, like what can be individual, what can actually be team practices, you know, et cetera. Right. But those practices have so much detail in terms of the fundamentals, setting the culture, setting what essentially my playbook, right? Like I need you to get in my mind because at the end of the day, once we actually say play ball, y'all are playing the game and I'm orchestrating from the side, you know, in, in making those, uh, as we talked about and what we'll segue into the managerial decisions. I get Nick that you're saying that in season, you know, professionals still practice. I would call it more PT, like a physical therapy, if you will. It's, it's more like I want to do something that gets enough live action to the body. But at that point, we're kind of like you said, fine tuning certain place, you know, skill set, mental things. We've all heard the expression dog days of the summer from baseball, right? Like there gets to a point where you got 162 slate. The last thing you want to do is show up four hours before game and practice, right? Like I would be willing to bet most of these guys are doing individualized hitting instructing if they're in a slump or they're just getting BP to get a few swings so they don't pull an oblique, you know, on their follow through. Right. So I, I also look at it and it's laughable, but I do have an example currently from my own team where I got a call tonight and players not going to be able to play because they uh, pulled a growing. I don't know if this is um, sports specific to, you know, baseball or just playing around in the backyard with friends, but, we had a serious conversation just about sports physio on how to get little Timmy, you know, back to health. How the fuck did a five or six year old pull their growing? Growing? Yeah. Yeah. Like growing, like growing it's country, right. so, dude, you're going to so, have to let it alone. It's growing <laughs> in the South. It's G R O W I N growing. Just let it go. <laughs> what, what did he pull? But I do think that to, this is to a lesser degree with kids being younger, Jordan, but like to your point, like focus element, the body just getting tired sometimes honestly just the mental of like oh we're back at the ballpark again you know that's the little kids version of the burnout that they don't really understand what they're saying but what it means to them and so i have a distinction i guess nick if i'm going to play switzerland here that if the day comes that our sons ever play travel ball Travel ball preparation will look different than what I consider just to be a rec ball hobby right now. 
And that's my distinguishment for also you talked about financial bang for the buck. I would challenge anybody just to come to my practices. And if you're sitting there and saying, Tyler, how are you only doing seven legit practices, two scrimmages and 14 games and you think that's enough? This would be my answer. The very first practice, my wife came to this practice and said, this is going to be a long season. It looks like you have two distinctive teams. You've got your reserve kids and kids that look like they do not know the game of baseball. Fast forward to now, I'm over here trying to have conversations with other potential coaches about grouping three of these non-protected kids who have become what I would say plus plus athletes, now good baseball players, about keeping that group together because of how much they've accomplished from the baseball side of things. I 100% think that if done correctly, and, and I, and I want to say this in sensitivity, Nick, I'm not saying that you're not doing it correctly, but I think that if you can hone it in correctly, that the seven practices, the two scrimmages, and the 14 games, kind of to Jordan's point on this on the live reps, yeah, I mean, it's gotten to a point in our games where, like, I'm letting the kids a um, little bit of liberty here that, you know, when the scores are getting out of hand, I'm taking those training wheels off. I'm letting them make their adjustments on their base running, for example. Okay, take off. Keep going. There's the ball. It's coming. You think you can beat that catcher to the home plate? If not, you're like, I'm not saying this stuff to them. They're making these decisions, but I'm watching it play out in their head. And it's a beautiful thing to watch because now it's beyond just coaching. It's them understanding the game. You know, like I can I can safely check mark from the coaching side to say, or let me rephrase, I'd like to say I've done my job. They are now coached in that element. They're seeing the game play out the right way. Right. Like we'll sit there and watch warm ups and, you know, kudos to some of my assistants. But my infield's now flowing with a throw. I, I got to be honest, I have not taught that to them, but I also don't teach my infield. I have other coaches that do that. And now they're flowing with the ball that's hit to the third baseman. And even though the throw is going to first, now my shortstop's flowing to second. And I've got my right fielder backing up. And I've got my left fielder backing up the throw that potentially could be coming into third. Yeah, it's 5-6. But I think that my point is, is they can be taught the game pretty advanced. You just got to find the way to do it. There is certainly risk, Nick. I'm not being neg- negligent to the fact that if you don't practice, that there is the you know inverse risk of um, – them losing skill set or losing understanding but yeah all to say for youth sport at the rec level for my state my take on this it's a it's a find the line for burnout and i'm never going to get close to it jordan to kind of wrap things up i know we've kind of had an extensive conversation and the topics that we've had and we want to finish most of these episodes up on kind of a lighter hearted note and we pitched a couple around before the episode started um, and we landed on something that Nick brought up, and I believe it's something Nick has probably been experiencing around his own household, so I will let him throw out the fair foul for this week. Yeah, so fair foul, fall holiday decorations. Can they be put up before, let's just say September 1st or Labor Day weekend? What are your thoughts? My thoughts are it is foul if holiday decorations are up before football kicks off. I don't have a date on it, Labor Day, Memorial Day, October 1st, whatnot. If football hasn't started yet, fall decorations should not be up. That is my internal rule about it. I will say that my wife doesn't ask me my opinion. 
for Christmas or fall or whatnot. But if football hasn't started yet and you can't wear hoodies, then fall decorations should not be up. And typically, it's I mean, at least where we are, it's hot around September 1st. So the leaves haven't even changed yet. Like, I mean, growing up, obviously, in New York State, uh, everybody down here thinks I grew up in a, a concrete jungle. Upstate New York's obviously not that way. Uh, there's tons of fall trees. But yeah, September 1st is still warm, at least for our region as well. I'm going to say foul. You can't do it before September 1st, quite frankly. And I think the the camp that believes that it's fair is they want to milk that season as long as possible. You know, the pumpkin spice, Ugg boots. Um, I don't know. I can't think of what else they, it goes with that stuff. But I think that they want to milk the season as as long as possible all the way through thanksgiving and that's i mean that obviously that'll be a fair foul coming up next or in the future is fair foul christmas decorations when you when can you start with that i mean there's an employee that i had uh that believed christmas should start in july if that's that's their thoughts by all means i'd love to hear a little bit more about that actually i take that back i wouldn't like to hear about more about that but yeah so i'm curious to know what people's thoughts are uh fair foul in that regard obviously as i mentioned to kind of kick the the episode off uh, we have a Twitter account. It's uh, Hang Em Up Pod. Follow us on Facebook. That's where we'll, or not Facebook, I'm sorry, Twitter. That's where we'll have uh, news and information regarding episodes. That's where we want you guys' input as listeners. Because uh, obviously, without you, we're just basically recording our phone conversations and this could get really awkward. Jordan, I don't think we have anything else to add to this. So, in that regard, I'm just going to hang them up. Thanks, Nick. I think the only thing is uh, we don't have a Facebook page. If you guys would like us to get one, we'll get one. We'll get a MySpace. We'll get a Tinder. We will get whatever MySpace, you guys yeah. to uh, <laughs> listen listen to our kind of rambling conversations uh, that we have on the phone via text message or just kind of in the dugout. Thank you guys for listening through the first couple of episodes. We have some exciting episodes uh, coming up, some special guests lined up that have various coaching and performance backgrounds. We have a special episode hopefully coming up that we have um, all kind of titled The Secret Lives of Coaches' Wives. A couple of them are excited. A couple of them are apprehensive to have those conversations based on how honest uh, we want them to be <laughs> and whether we want to risk divorce on hearing their opinions. Um, but I Our appreciate you guys. Confidence issues with me. Uh, oh, confidence a hundred percent. So um appreciate you guys listening. And uh, until next time, Time to hang them up.